0: Welcome to BTEC B-Talk, a podcast series from the Biomass Thermal Energy Council. I'm Joe Seymour, BTEC Program Coordinator for Policy and Governmental Affairs. In our monthly podcast, BTEC interviews key decision makers and pioneers of the biomass energy industry. This project is made possible by a grant from the U.S. Forest Service's Wood Education Resource Center. In our sixth broadcast, we survey bioenergy land interaction from the perspective of the family forest landowner. 2011 has been designated the International Year of the Forest, and that celebration involves more than industrial-owned and public tracts. Approximately 62% of private lands are attended by families and individuals. And as we will learn from our guests, small family forest landowners weigh distinct and valid considerations when entering the bioenergy markets than those made by larger businesses and the forest product industries. Joining us are Harry Grote and Scott Bagley of the Center for Cooperative Forest Enterprises within the National Network of Forest Practitioners. NNFP works to promote the well-being of small forest businesses, rural communities, and forests through a variety of networking and education activities, as well as direct technical support for projects around the U.S. Additionally, the NNFP's Center for Cooperative Forest Enterprises assists groups of forest entrepreneurs seeking a competitive edge through collaboration. Harry is a forest enterprise consultant stationed in Virginia, and Scott is the program director for the NNFP and the Center in Ohio. Harry, my first question. What do you see as the present role of small landowners in the bioenergy markets?
1: I thought that question was really interesting because it it gets right at the outset, right to the heart of the social aspect of the forest product supply chain and how to really effectively penetrate it. The term small is a relative term in that some landowners, and especially groups of landowners, have significant holdings. While the term small landowner is technically accurate, it might help to consider what landowners think of themselves as. More and more you're hearing the term family forest owner, used to differentiate themselves from industrial and corporate landowners, even though some of those family forest owners are organized in corporations, trusts, or LLCs, for the sake of consistency today, I'm going to use forest family forest owners. And what I think is important to note is the difference primarily is in the objectives of those types of landowners. Corporate and industrial landowners are almost exclusively focused on maximizing their financial return. Now, they may also have or profess to have social and economic objectives, but typically the finances are, are by and far number one in their, their list. There's been a lot of research recently into the objectives that forest fa- family forest owners have, and the results are pretty consistent um, across the country, across forest types. Um, the main objectives of family forest owners are social, and or ecological in nature and income production comes typically in fourth or fifth place or sometimes even lower. Family forest owners really represent a very mixed bag of of forest landowners which has admittedly made it hard for the biomass aggregation market to, to access. But since private ownership represents so much of the ownership here, especially in the eastern U.S., as the renewable wood energy markets develop, it's going to be more and more important to deal with those family forest owners.
2: Joe, I'd like to add a little something in here, too, in terms of the, the role of this this group of landowners in the bioenergy market. You know, most of these family forest owners are, are, are relatively passive in their management, and... Uh, really most of them, a great percent of them, don't even have a management plan that overtly states their long-term goals. But uh, many of them, uh, especially the ones that are involved with uh, groups and associations of their peers, they're interested certainly in, in becoming more active in their management. Um, and so the ones that are, are, are tend to be a little more active, they do stay aware of new developments and how new end users will affect their potential markets. But otherwise, this class of, of landowners is not necessarily being very proactive as they have been in In leading countries such as Austria.
0: Now, knowing where we stand today, how do you see this role likely shifting in the future?
1: We do see trends now where groups of of like-minded landowners are working together to become more proactive in, in developing the local opportunities. By developing local opportunities, I mean both as suppliers and as advocates for community-based wood energy project. This is really a core part of the center's emergence as a service provider is in working with those landowners and enterprises using collaboration as a tool for them to be more competitive as both suppliers and as advocates um, and even as customers in some cases. There's an emerging interest in trying to broaden the bi local. You see it particularly in food. We think there's a real opportunity in the the forest products side to include those include uh, the buy local forestry. Um, you can really see that up in the in the northeastern states. Even though there's a large number of of pellet producers and a large number of wood energy projects that are are active now, um, as I understand, New England is still in that importer of, uh, let's say, pellets, uh, you know, energy. Whereas down here in Virginia, the largest pellet manufacturers do almost no local delivery because there are very few local projects and almost exclusively export the pellet production. However, when I talk to the the local folks in primarily in municipal and and governmental agencies who are considering wood energy projects, they want to be able to source locally, and that's one of the major selling points both to their constituents, uh, the taxpayers, and to their governmental bodies is the fact that they're they're using they're producing and consuming the product locally.
0: Thanks, Harry. Now, Scott, what role might the presence of a bioenergy market have on the decisions of family forest landowners in terms of utilizing their land's resources?
2: I guess it, it really depends on the nature of the market. Our work with uh, smaller-scale community-oriented community oriented projects suggests that some of these uh, groups might be most interested in supporting and supplying uh, markets that are more local in nature, such as schools and community buildings. Um, but we've also learned of some more recent research, um, out of Massachusetts by Brett Butler, uh, at the Family Forest Research Center of the Forest Service and some of his partners, uh, well, Brett's involved with the, the National Woodland Owner Survey, but occasionally he'll, he'll also do some more locally oriented research there. Um, that's, this was a, a statewide survey in, in Massachusetts, um, and part of the survey, they looked at, uh, at, uh, the wood to energy, uh, question, and, uh, some of that research suggested that that end use doesn't really matter to many landowners and won't really affect whether or not they participate in a in a bioenergy market. And it, it's it's just a tough one because there's so many factors and it's a hard one to answer. Um, but uh, if the acquisition of biomass is used as a tool to improve the forest or to utilize what may currently be a waste stream, uh, we think there are opportunities.
0: Thanks, Scott. So. Markets driven by supply, demand, and price interaction. Is there a certain price threshold that wood for energy must meet before landowners, especially small forest family landowners, can engage in this market?
1: But price is not the primary driver here. And as as we saw at the heating the northeast, some of the results presented there were showing that the the biomass component of a harvest, uh, and granted, this is, these are seem to be fairly conventional harvests that were being done but the biomass is generating less than 1% of the revenue and yet it was about 20% of the cost of that harvest so from that standpoint doing a purely biomass harvest is going to be hard to justify but when you factor in the, the objectives of the landowners and I'm not aware of any studies done specifically on on this, but I I can speak to it from anecdotal experience. Uh, There's a lot of interest in family forest owners to contribute to the biomass market, especially if it's helping them achieve some of the other objectives that they have. For instance, uh, going in and doing a timber stand improvement or a thinning operation with the understanding that they will have to generate some amount of saw timber to offset the increased costs. But as long as they're achieving some of their social and ecological objectives, they're going to be much more interested in participating in that market. So it's not purely a price-driven decision on their part. It's going to be a decision with many more factors involved relating to the, what their objectives are.
2: I'd like to add a little something in there. Uh, you know, Joe, uh, it's Harry mentioned saw timber and that uh, in some cases um, saw timber will help pay the way for uh, biomass out of the woods. But uh, but really in some cases we have to consider the, the state of the forests out there on, on a lot of uh, Lands owned by family forest uh, landowners. Um, a, a lot of times, these forests have have experienced a long history of high grading, which involves a series of harvests that have basically cherry-picked the best timber and left the rest. So, it's going to be hard in some cases to make some of these uh, lands, you know, supply feedstock for for bio, for the bioenergy market. And so, we might have to start getting a little more creative about about how we can uh, utilize the timber stand improvement practices in order to shape back shape up the woods while also contributing, you know, especially on a, on a local level to to some of these bioenergy projects.
0: Harry, I know that we've touched on this previously, but what are the other considerations beyond price that would bring small landowners into the biomass energy markets?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right, Joe. We we have touched on a number of these things. Uh, I'm not sure it can be overemphasized that with family forest owners there's going to be a lot of non-financially driven objectives that have to be addressed, and I think this is an area that opens itself to quite a bit of uh, innovation and, and creative opportunities between biomass supplier or those seeking biomass and those uh, wanting to provide biomass. There is, I think, a fairly strong commitment in the in the family forest owner community in supporting uh, locally driven uh, wood-to-energy projects. So that, that that I think we could put in the social column. Ecologically, anything that can be done to improve the forest, especially as Scott was pointing out, a lot of our forests have been repeatedly high-graded and are in desperate need of, of salvage. And uh, in, in some, unfortunately, uh, could be quite a few cases, this would require going in and just basically uh, leveling the the very poor quality forest that exists, which would produce a fair amount of biomass, but there has to be a follow-up effort to regenerate and restore a a good viable forest that's going to grow economically viable products in the future.
0: Okay, so what approach could a biomass aggregator or a biomass thermal project developer take when working with family landowners?
1: I think if a firm were willing to engage in these kind of low-grade harvests and were able to, to generate enough income from the saw logs that would come off that and consider doing more work on the timber stand improvement side which puts the the uh the service provider the forest service provider in the role of truly providing a service to the landowner as opposed to just being out there to generate and aggregate biomass it's going to be a lot more appealing to the to the family forest owners other examples i can can come up with on the top of my head is improving um, the stand for long-term generation of higher-quality timber. And I guess the last comment I'd throw in on this topic is that from the aggregator standpoint, I know it's less appealing to deal with a bunch of smaller landowners, and that's where the opportunities presented in groups or aggregations, existing groups or associations of landowners becomes fairly appealing because then they've got a single point of contact which may access them uh, tens of thousands of acres instead of just a few hundred at a time.
0: Thanks, Harry. Scott, we know that the existing forest products industry is an important economic player. To what degree are small family forest landowners competing with this mature industry in the bioenergy markets?
2: Well, uh, this one's highly variable and, and not so easy to answer. Um, I know there's a lot of places where uh, there basically is no market, whether it be traditional or even a, a bioenergy market. But then there are also areas where there's, you know, competition is fierce and significant. And it, it really isn't as, so much a matter of competition as it is with ac- as it is access. And and the way we see it, it's it's uh, it just all requires good communication and innovative approaches. And I guess I just wanted to hit hit an idea here with an with a innovative creative approach about how um even in a competitive market how uh, a bi- small or well I guess a bioenergy developer might might be able to help uh um, free up some some of that supply in the com- competitive market um you know as it's become clear throughout our conversation we we do a fair bit of work with uh, small groups on the on the on the local level uh, of cooperatives uh, or cooperative oriented uh, groups of landowners and there's a, there's a program in the, uh, with that NRCS the, uh, that, uh, that they administer called the Cooperative Conservation Partnership Initiative. And it, it basically recognizes the role of these groups in helping to deliver cost share down to the ground. And we've, we've mentioned the importance of timber stand improvement practices. And this is uh, an example of a, a pool of funds that can help, help do that. But the challenge with some of these groups is that they don't have um, – they're not that big. They're kind of loosely organized. So they often have a hard time covering the overhead of of, uh, some of the projects. And so it's just a good uh, creative uh, way that we might want to explore as far as roles for a bioenergy developer to help uh, leverage the the potential resources that that some of these groups can access that that no one else can. Uh,
0: Moving on to the work of the NNFP and the Center for Cooperative Force Enterprises, how has a small landowner traditionally decided to use his or her land's and what is your organization doing to assist this group in meeting those goals?
2: In the in the case of these small uh, family forest owners, um, utilization has been very diverse, um, as you've heard. You know, from a leave it alone until there's a cri- crisis type approach, which is unfortunately fairly typical. There's also you know folks that like to cut the heck out of it and sell it sell it for real estate. Um, in a lot of cases, uh, you know the 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 utilization is driven by economics and, and unfortunately, not in a very well-planned fashion. Um, We like to promote the idea of of using formal uh, stewardship plans um, because that could help guide long-term sustainability, uh, both in terms of uh, ecological sustainability but also feedstock sustainability. Um, But uh, in terms of uh, what we do to assist this group and uh, where we see our role in in supporting uh, sustainable wood-to-energy especially for thermal purposes. We work with uh, groups of entrepreneurial-minded landowners and and associated forest businesses, and we assist them in organizing together to be uh, proactive in in both taking care of their forests but also in engaging new opportunities such as wood to energy. Uh, We're we're trying to help some of them um, move from kind of more passive and waiting to see what others will do to becoming a little bit more proactive. So uh, we work mostly to position our clients uh, to, vent, to benefit from some of the small and medium scale wood energy developments um, at the scale that we, we consider community scale. So uh, we work with members of the National Network of Forest Practitioners, of which the center is a part, uh, to aggregate, process, and market um, those wood products. Actually, one of our initiatives right now relates to supporting these enterprises here in the U.S., that have, have been, they've been particular. There's been a few that have been particularly interested in learning about how farmers and forest owners in in uh, leading countries such as Austria, and how they've those landowners have functioned to make their their countries leaders in in the field of wood energy, uh, where you know they're not just supplying wood, but in some cases owning and operating uh, the smaller um, bioenergy facilities, um, and. I guess, lastly, in terms of our role and, and what we're, we're doing to assist these groups, there's a growing network of, of these types of cooperative enterprises um, comprised of both landowners as well as um, their partners. There's a real interest in sharing lessons learned and identifying collaborative opportunities across these businesses and regions, um, regions across the United States, and, uh, and this is, uh, is what we facilitate.
0: Harry, I know that you're a landowner, so in your opinion, in perspective. What questions should family forest landowners be asking biomass thermal operators prior to project development?
1: Very few landowners really know much about or understand the wood energy market. They're in the early stages of, of education in terms of better understanding of what it is they don't even know in order to answer or ask intelligent questions. And I think here the the biomass thermal operators can actually provide a service by helping to educate the family forest owners. It's an opportunity both for them to engage in discussion with potential suppliers and and to educate them and help them understand so that they're active and and even enthusiastic participants. It's really a, a completely new market and a new concept to most family forest owners. And unfortunately, there's been a lot of misinformation in the popular press, primarily from the popular press, which needs to be cleared up.
0: Harry, now, what are some of the specific misconceptions that family forest landowners experience when considering utilizing their land for biomass thermal applications or fuels?
1: The the two that come to mind most are the effect on the forest. Uh A lot of folks in the Central Appalachians, for my experience primarily is, have had very negative experience with uh, chipmills, who came in and engaged in very poor uh, forest practices. At least, as, as far as the perspective of the family forest owners are concerned. And then, when their supply was used up, they left, they closed down and left. So the area lost. Jobs plus market access. The other area of concern is in the the polluting nature of the um, of the facilities themselves. The populace, general populace, family forest owners included, don't understand the technological progress that's been made with the modern facilities and the fact that they are. Very, they they are not major polluters. So I guess those are the two primary misconceptions that need to be addressed: is, is pollution and forest stewardship.
0: Scott, any other thoughts?
1: I
2: think in some cases, there's a, of course, a trust issue as well. In that, one of the role for these the groups uh, and and the associations of landowners is that they can help broker some of that uh, that conversation and that um if if some of the biomass uh thermal operators could uh, be in a position to sponsor uh these groups in in ways um perhaps financially uh, to help support some of their educational initiatives where it's, it might not be the operator doing the education directly but someone within the association helping to uh, provide good information to the to the members and that way it's it's more um on a peer to peer level and they're hearing from from people who are more like them but in some cases the message might be a little bit different but it all uh serves the end of developing that uh the local uh sustainable uh bio well wood to energy uh, kind of system which is is really our interest is is seeing these uh, become systems um on the local and regional level so that uh it enhances not only the economic conditions, but also the uh, sustainability in the woods, as well as uh, uh, the strength of communities in our, in our rural areas.
0: Now, what do you see as the impact that family forest landowners may have on the bioenergy markets and the adoption of thermal technologies?
2: You know, this, this class of uh, family forest owners, they're really in a nice position to be supporters of of good thermal-oriented projects on the, on the local level. Um, They've got, uh, you know, if you get these guys enthusiastic, they're going to really do a lot to help make make a lot of this happen. So I think uh, there's that as well as just how we can develop uh, kind of innovative approaches that not only see these guys as suppliers for bioenergy facilities, but also uh, end users in terms of uh, a growing network of uh, residential uh, heat-using appliances. I think there's a real good opportunity there that, If if there was interest in working through these groups to help incentivize uh, installations, I think we could go a long way to help uh, move some of this ahead.
0: Now, my final question for you both. What can biomass thermal project developers do to involve family forest landowners in the process and get communities to buy into these types of projects?
1: One of the most powerful educational tools and one of the most popular things that I have seen in my two decades of working with uh, cooperative extension, forest cooperative extension, is field days and workshops. And if an aggregator or someone on the the, the biomass production side would host um, with local groups or associations, an uh, a field day, a workshop. Um, where folks could come and actually see some facilities or some processes and take a walk in the woods. That's just an extremely effective tool for connecting to the landowner, helping them understand that this is not a a boogeyman in the woods kind of technology, that there's a lot of advantages and benefits to participating and supporting wood energy. I'll
2: also toss in there that uh, you know I think um, this this uh, the, the the family forest uh, community c- could be a huge policy advocate for uh, uh, thermal biomass because of yeah. the uh, approach of uh, you know really using wood for its uh, most efficient use um, and especially if this could be tied to you know uh, the local and regional markets.
0: Well, Harry and Scott, that will have to be the last word. Thank you for sharing your insight on bringing family forest landowners into the biomass thermal fold in addition to helping BTEC complete its work grant activities. Really, I appreciate your time today. Further information on Scott, Harry, and the National Network of Forest Practitioners can be found at www.nnfp.org. More resources, including interviews and archived webinars on the biomass industry, are available on the BTEC website at www.biomassthermal.org. Thank you so much for listening.